Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Adam Klickfeld's weekly Rashi study class. Carol, will you unmute yourself and read chapter 1 of Shemot, verse 8, and we'll jump into the Rashis. And again, we've already pre-read this verse a few times, but now we're actually reading, reading it. We're actually there. Vayakom, yes. Carol, you need to speak a little bit louder. Um, it's you're barely audible. Ah, that was good. Okay. Um, uh, she says Yes. Okay, and we it, but just do it again. Or upon Egypt, right? Joseph. Good. Okay. And we, we broke down this verse into many, many different components last week. We raised five, seven different questions on it. I'm not going to go all the way back through it, but but just to point out, vayakom is an interesting verb. There arose, there came up. It could have just been vayahi, there was. Um, so there's something about a, a rising up in this verse that is that seems to be intentional. Um, uh, Al Mitzrayim is different than Bimitzrayim. Upon Egypt is different than in Egypt. And of course, what does it mean? Asher lo yada Yosef. First of all, what does the verb yada mean here? Is it yada didn't know the story of? Is it yada had never heard of? Um, what's the difference between it being yada and hikir, which means to be familiar with? And does it mean that he didn't know the person, or they didn't know the story? And and how we think of this question is impacted by how we understand who is the Melech Hadash who is coming onto Egypt. Is it the same exact um, Pharaoh that Yosef had, had a relationship with? In which case, um, meaning is, is, it the, is it the Pharaoh who succeeded the, the Pharaoh that Yosef had a relationship with? Or is it someone new entirely? So that's where we left it. Are there any lingering comments or questions on the Pasuk itself? Not the Rashi before we uh, ask Carol to read the Rashi. Uh, Diane, please unmute yourself. Carol, unmute yourself for a second. Diane? So, can you hear me? Yes. Um, last week you posed the question, is there a difference between Yada who didn't know and Yada who hadn't known? Right. Diane, pause one second because I see more people on the Facebook Live. If you're joining us on Facebook Live, wonderful. On my previous Facebook post, you see the link to this Shior on GoToMeeting because if you're doing it just on Facebook Live, there'll be some moments where I'll be interacting with um, students who are on the GoToMeeting and it'll just be downtime for you. So please stay if you want, but you can also find the link to this um, on my previous uh, Facebook post. And actually, if one of you wants to take that link and post it on this Facebook Live event, that way people who are on it now can see it. Thank you. Diane. Okay. One second. Vered, please. Vered, please mute yourself. I need to learn how to mute people. But I don't know how to be on the screen, so I'm going to mute myself. 
Mute. Okay, so Verit, you're muted. If you wanted to ask or say something, there should be a chat box at the top. It looks like a little, like a, a, a circle, almost like a cue. And if you write something in there and let me know that you want, you have a comment, I'll see it even though you can't raise your hand. Okay, Matt, you're on Facebook Live, but you may want to join us on GoToMeeting. It's up to you. Sorry, Diane, go ahead. Okay, so there's, there's actually, I think, um, a difference in who didn't know Joseph, which implies that, that he didn't know him at all in any way, but he hadn't known Joseph implies that he hadn't, but then he did. Good. So what, what Diane is asking about is, um, I, I think it was the Everett Fox translation, I'm not sure. One of our translations turned the verb yada, <clears throat> which is a perfect verb, it's a past tense verb, into what we would call in English a pluperfect verb, right? Um, into had not known Yosef. And one of the ways that the pluperfect operates in English is that it, right, it can suggest didn't before but now does. But I'm not sure that's the only way the pluperfect operates, right? I think that the pluperfect can also operate in the sense of um, um, hadn't back then and we're not yet in the now to suggest whether or not he did now, right? So I don't know. This is now a Rashi on Everett Fox's translation of the verse. I don't know what what he meant by that pluperfect had. Um, maybe a, a Everett Fox, if you're on Facebook right now and and you want to join our go-to meeting and tell us what you meant by that, we're we're all ears. But it is a good question. But it's a question on the English more than it's a question on the Hebrew. Um, Ra- Rachel Green, can you please mute yourself? Rachel Green, can you please mute yourself? What? Can you please mute yourself? Okay. Great. Um, I was, can, can I just say one thing? I, I think that the pluperfect doesn't exist in Hebrew. I think there's only one past tense, if I'm not mistaken. Correct, but... Right. There's only one past tense in form, but we talk about this a lot in language. The concept, or the, or the, or the notion, or the emotional reaction to a situation exists amongst human beings who speak that language. The question is, does that mean that it's built into the past tense form? Right. L- language both responds to the culture and the experiences of the people who use it, and it also creates that. So. I, I, it, it may be that if the language doesn't have a pluperfect and the people who speak the language don't think in pluperfect or they think it, they just don't know how to express it or they read it into a past tense verb without realizing that they are. Um, okay, anyone else have a question, a lingering question or comment on this verse before we read the Rashi? Okay, Carol, unmute yourself please and read the Rashi. A, a, a classic, wonderful Rashi. Uh, we can hear you. Okay, good. But David, um, David Kaplan, you're identified here as owner. Is that you, David? David, raise, David, wave. Uh, David Kaplan can hear us for some reason, but okay. Go ahead, Carol. Um, Good. Okay. It's Rashi here, in his classic way, is in an extremely terse way, uh, synopsizing a much longer midrash, 
using kind of wink-wink language. So he just mentions Rab Ushmuel, two rabbis' names. What, he, what, what do you think he means by just mentioning Rab and Shmuel's names, Carol, or anyone? Thanks, Noah, on Facebook. What, what, what's he referencing if he just mentions Rab and Shmuel's names here? Excuse me. Rav and Shmuel argue with each other on numerous issues all the time. And I think it's just uh, suggesting that this wasn't it was one of those issues, that it's one of those things that people have argued about for a very long time. Good. All right. So I, you're, you're absolutely right, Norm. Like, the fuller sentence is... Um, there was a machloket between Rav and Shmuel on this verse, and I'm about to tell you how it went out. But all Rashi says is just two words, Rav Shmuel. Rav Shmuel, and it's supposed to like awaken in our minds the idea, oh, this is a Rav and Shmuel machloket, just like a Rabbi Yochanan and Reish Lakish machloket. And they had different views on how to read this verse. What's interesting is that it's important to Rash for Rashi by, by paraphrasing the Midrash to let us know who the rabbis were who are... Um, who are disagreeing with each other, but he doesn't tell us who holds which opinion, right? Because keep translating, Carol, uh, unmute yourself. Norm, please mute yourself. Keep translating, Carol. Okay, uh, Robin Shmuel, one, one said, really knew. Uh, and the other said uh, that his uh, decrees were new. Were renewed. Okay, let's start in the first one because it's the easiest one. One of them said, "Really new," meaning what, Carol, or anyone? Well, I assume that 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 it was a new thing. Right. So one of them takes the the more obvious pathway to Pshat, which is that said, when the Torah says that a new king arose over Egypt, guess what the Torah means? That a new king arose over Egypt, right? And this resolves some of our questions from the last few weeks for those of you who were were, were with us, that, yeah, time has passed, and if you want to, um, to, to, to try to explain to yourself how it could be that any ruler of Egypt would not know Yosef or her story. It was an entirely new ruler. Now, back then, and it would be great to have Tova Sunshine with us, but she's not with us at the exact moment. What, what, what were the two main ways that a kingdom would have a new ruler? Uh, Larry. Succession after death. Would be would be the more more, more common way, right? Or, or some form of overthrow of the king of the king. Aha, uh-huh. right. So you can imagine a machloket on the first half of this machloket. So if it's really a new king, now I have a second question. Well, what, what, how did this new king come to be? If it was the previous king's son, then how could it how could it be that he didn't know Yosef, right? Unless it means that he didn't l- literally know Yosef, right? That also helps us resolve what the yada is. Is it didn't know him personally, didn't know the story of? If it's a new, if it's the king's son, it almost has to be thought of as had never met Yosef and therefore slightly removed from the story. But another way of thinking about it is um, a um, a coup, 
right? Or a foreign kingdom sweeps in from the north northeast and takes over the previous kingdom, and they don't care about the annals of the previous kingdom because they're they're in charge now, and no one and and they don't have to honor. They don't have to honor what has been there before. That's just on the Chad Amar, uh, Chad Amar Chadash Mamash. One said that the king was actually a new king. Okay, now let's break down the Chad Amar Shanit Chadshuk Zerotav. A carol or anyone who unmutes first. What do you think it means and what do you think whichever one of them was saying it, Robert Shmuel was trying to do in, in a, as a resolution to this verse? I have an opinion. Go ahead, Barry. Uh, going on from what we discussed the last time, uh, it's the same king, but the kingdom is different now. Uh, our our people have multiplied greatly during a time when the Egyptians they had sold themselves into serfdom under Joseph's rule. Uh, so they're suffering. We're doing well, and uh, the king to keep his people together uh, needs to listen to his people and uh, so it in essence it, it it seems like a new pharaoh and a new a new order uh, has to come down correct it, this is a, a political analysis great right so this is a version of a, a pharaoh waking up on the wrong side of the bed needing to victimize someone um, creating a pretense for for a, a new set of decrees. Susan? Um, and I think it's about making sure that we know that the, the whole era of, of Yosef being in charge is gone. You know, the whole it's a whole new system and the Yosef actually being any, any kind of authority has completely been eradicated. Right. So whichever one is the author of this opinion, and again, it does not seem to matter to Rashi to let us know who said what, just that the two of them are arguing, would read, remember our problem with the verse was, how could a new king not know Yosef, right? Maybe if it's a coup from the Northwest, but otherwise, how could a new king not know Yosef? So the answer here is resolving it by reading the verse against Pshat, but it resolves the question. Of course he knew Yosef. But he pretended not to. Of course he knew what Joseph had done to the, Jew- to the Jewish people, right? But he, he positions himself as saying, ah, I, 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 I don't remember last year. No, it's not, not familiar to me because, you know, and, and we've seen this throughout history. Do, do, do we not think that in the early years of any of the political um, eras that had ended up being extremely terrible to the Jews, that the leaders were not aware of the ways in which the Jews were contributing positively to society, or as we've spoken about many times in the last few weeks, even the era in which we're living through right now, right? Does, is, 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 the, is there anyone, um, there's a difference between not knowing the positive impact that a group of people, immigrants, others can have on your society, and half consciously, half unconsciously forgetting that because you need a pretense for your new set of draconian decrees, right? And I'm trying to not make this like directly political, but it's a very political Rashi. It's a very political Rashi, right? And it's a very political Gemara that he's quoting from Masechet Sotah. One of these rabbis is unwilling to see this verse as saying that memory is lost, but rather um, there, there's a new way of running society and that new way of running society is reliant 
upon a, a intentional partial memory loss or forgetfulness. Hands. This would be a moment normally in person somebody might want to say something. Anyone? Okay. So, um, look, if you're in our um, Torah Chaim Chumash, you see a little footnote. There's a footnote 7 and 8. Footnote 7 just tells you where you are in the Talmud, Masechet Sota. Footnote 8 kind of um, helps us understand what the question is on the verse that the second half of the Midrash is answering. And I'll read it. Delokativ vayamot melech mitzrayim vayamloch taktav acher. Right? Remember, we were we were um, discussing um, that verb vayakom. There arose. It doesn't say that there was um, there, that there was a new king, and it doesn't say what the Torah often says when someone dies, which is that someone died. Since it does not say that the king of Egypt died vayamot vayimloch taktav acher, and a new king um, ruled in his place it must open the possibility that it's the same exact king who's just saying, la, 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 I, don't, I don't know from Yosef, I don't remember him, he means nothing to me. Now, if you look at that footnote 8, I see you, Barry, in one second. Um, you see how it says Rashi in parentheses after footnote 8? Anyone know what that's a reference to? We're, we're, we see the Rashi, and that isn't what Rashi says. So what do you think that's a reference to? It's it's uh, Larry. I'm guessing only because of Marshall. It's referenced reference to to Uncles? It's it's most likely um, the footnote, the editor of the footnote, bringing in Rashi's commentary on the Gemara, on the place of Masechet Sota where this is originally found. Right, so as you said, Rashi knows all this material by heart, and not only did he write a commentary on the Torah, he wrote a commentary on the entire Talmud. So he also wrote a commentary on this place in the Talmud from which he's actually deriving this commentary in the Torah. So that's what Rashi says there, and the footnote brings it in. Barry. Well, uh, this this uh, arising, uh, going back to the political analysis, is descriptive of. Uh, uh, and, and arising in our history, as you commented already, frequently in our history, we are in a a, a, um, a, a very wonderful situation historically, and uh, and there's a, a rising and a rising of change of reality uh, that initially we overlook and are aware of, and uh, it behooves us frequently to be uh, conscious of this. Yes, thank you, Barry. Norm or Rachel? Yeah, um, I think I'm. I think I'm saying this in the name of Tova Sunshine, but she, I think, taught me that um, <clears throat> the new Pharaoh, who knew not Joseph, was that a foreign power had conquered Egypt, and she thought it was a Greek ancestry power but that the existing dynasty in Egypt um, is not simply that one king died and another was crowned but that there was a, a, a conquering 
of the dynasty that had known Joseph. Right. Um, she mentioned even not only a conquering, but a geographic move, right, of the center of power, right? So that is a historical explanation that might give credence to part A of part A in the Machloket, that really, it really may have been a new king, and it wasn't the, or, or part B of part A, it wasn't the previous king's son, but it was a new king from a different culture, had never heard of Yosef. Or the Midrashic interpretation is, no, the, the, it is possible, right? And just <laughs> turn this internal for yourself. It is possible to be the exact same body, same set of cells, same set of organs, and have an entirely different attitude about something or someone very quickly, right? Um, one second, Larry. You are the same essential body you were a week ago. Right, our, our cells are constantly sloughing off and regenerating, but you, you, you're the same person. But every one of us here has entirely different attitudes about many things about society and the world that we did a week ago. Sometimes that transformation happens for good. Sometimes it happens for bad. Sometimes we're conscious of it, sometimes we're not. In this situation, a political leader, according to this interpretation of Rashi, all of a sudden chose or allowed himself to look at those around him very differently than he had before. Maybe in response to crisis, maybe in response to just a power grab. I see Renee unmuting and Norm or Rachel. So Renee, I haven't heard from you this morning, so you go next. Is it possible he was just faking it? Um, hold that thought until uh, till Carol reads this, this, the end of this Rashi. So, sure, but hold that thought. Larry. Okay, there am I um, Second of all, because I'll get the first in a second, Marshall had a great comment, which if he doesn't want to read it, <clears throat> I think that everyone's seen it or I'll read it. But before that, I can't remember if it was in the class or my discussion with Ian on the way home last time, uh, after last session, about the word Yodea and the fact that Yodea often means intimate knowledge, sexual knowledge. So if the king didn't Yodea in the sense of intimately know Yosef, it could be that he never intimately know, knew him, or following up on what you were saying, he did at one time intimately know him, but he no longer intimately knew him. Hmm. He's changed. Hmm. So he didn't know him anymore. Yeah. You could even simply he forgot, but not that he forgot, but the impact that this person who was once very, very powerful on, on the Pharaoh no longer had that impact. And if we think back to our own lives, I can at least, I can think back to people who were, with whom I was intimate, they knew me, I knew them, and not that I've forgotten them, but I have actually no longer have that intimacy. That's great, Larry. I see Sue's hand, but let me just pause on that for a second. That also reawakens Diane's comment on how to understand the pluperfect, because you're saying may have known then, but it wasn't such an intimate knowing, so it doesn't know anymore. Um, I thought you were going in a different direction, which was to give the pluperfect more force. Even then, he hadn't really known him. Like, he'd met him. They had partnered Hadn't really known him, so is that much more easy to feign what he's feigning now? Yeah. And as the philosopher Michael Wilbon always says, more than one thing can be true. Yes. Think of all of the possibilities. Sue Chetzroni? 
Um, yeah, what Larry just said really made me think about something, um, and that is that it, in in the all of the story that kind of unfolded at the end of the last book, he it, Pharaoh went from intimately knowing to Joseph changed. Joseph changed. He went from this kind of removed, disconnected, uh, you know, maestro of success in Egypt to um, my phone's ringing. To the uh, someone who was connected to a family and a history, and um, my eighty-nine-year-old neighbor is calling. That's my point. <laughs> Thank you, Sue. I'm just saying hello to some people on Facebook because uh, Rabbi Jonathan Aaron is watching and our former rabbinic intern Adir Yolkut is watching and an old U.S. wife friend Amy Netta was watching and an old U.S. wife friend Rachel Kramer is watching. So hello to all people who are Facebook watching. If you're late to it, we're, in, we're studying the first chapter of Exodus or Shemot. Yo, Amy, hi. Um, verse 8 in the Rashi. You can find it on safaria.com if you want to actually open up a book. Okay, great. Anything else on the comments we made so far? Excellent hat, Andrew Wallenstein. Um, Carol, let's have you finish off the Rashi, which is going to seem like it's going to seem like we already spoke about it because in order to make sense of the second part of his Robin Shmuel Machloket, we had to almost say out loud what he's about to actually write specifically. Okay, so go ahead, Carol. Asher lo yada, asher asa atzmo keilu lo yada. Yeah. Um, he conducted himself, did as if he did not know. Right. Right. Any of you who were, who were at Betham on high holidays and heard one of my sermons, it was about keiluism and the powers and the dangers of keiluism. Thank God for keiluism so that we could have this experience right now. We're, we're, we're having this class, keilu, as if we were all in the same room, even though we're not. But you can also keilu yourself into forgetting something that you once knew and pretending like you're not hearing and pretending like you're not seeing and pretending that you don't care. So so it's it almost seems that that this asa etzmo keilu lo yida'o is like a commentary on the second half of the previous Mahlok at High Kori. Hi, Roberta Mankesh. Um, because in what way um, could the same king have just renewed, uh, um, changed his decrees only if he pretended not to have known Yosef? So that's the Ki'ilo working in a, in a, in a uh, infernal, terrible way. Barry, thank you. Go ahead. Barry, then Sue. And then Norm, or again to, to to repeat this at the political perspective, he 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 knew Joseph, but because of the political situation and keeping in charge of his angry people, he needed to behave as though he did not know Joseph. He needed to distance himself from Joseph. Right, right. Sue, and then uh, Norm. Well, for, uh, apropos my last comment about how um, um, Joseph had changed, it, it just made me wonder in how he knew not, made me wonder how much Joseph knew he had changed. And if Joseph if Joseph knew how much, if Joseph knew how much Joseph had changed or the king had changed? Well, my first comment was about the king. The king had, the king knew how much Joseph had changed and knew not this Joseph that had changed so much and my current comment now is just a kind of thinking about what Joseph thought of himself 
Hmm. And if his entire role, the way he portrayed it, had changed as well, and he was aware of it, and, and you know, if there, if, if there was so much in flux that, and the degrees were the decrees of the king were changing, really because everything there was a there was a a, a sea change, and and you know, here we are, we're in the middle of a sea change of life. We know it. It's so you know, there that sea change changes everything. Yeah. And it's also such an interesting way of setting up the primary narrative of the Torah after the <laughs> patriarchs. The primary narrative of the Torah is enslavement, fr- being freed from slave in slavery, the mitzvot that come to us on the heels of slavery, and how we're supposed to remember slavery. And Rashi here is setting up a, we have no idea how it began. Did it begin by some coincidence, right? The Hyksos came down and took over the you know, took over the area, and all the relationships that Yosef had formed just got thrown out the window. And you can never you can never rely on that not happening. Or was this some kind of shift in the polity, shift in the mindset of the people that the Jews had become so Israelites had become so comfortable with? And of course, that ramifies into two scary directions, right? And the one is that is this, this this constant Jewish fear. You can't trust that the people with whom you have a trusting relationship now, that that trust will continue. You also can't trust that there might be might not be a whole new change of scenery that's going to imperil the community again. Um, what's the what's the aphorism that I can't think of right now that um, the, the, the devil the devil you know is better than the devil you don't know? There's, 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 a, there's, a, there's a more appropriate way of saying that, right? Um, I, I remember um, Israel, Middle East geopolitics when when Assad's father was in power and uh, the previous era, era of despots and one of the things that um, would often be said about Israeli um, diplomacy was that however bad the current um, despots were, Israel had gotten used to them and had known generally how to maintain itself in that region and it could be that the next one coming in is not better but worse. Right? So this notion of vulnerability, wondering are things going to get worse either because the relationships you have that you think are intact are going to break down or they're just going to be irrelevant because someone else is going to swoop in. There was a hand before. Was it Larry? No, Norm, sorry. Oh, okay. It seems to me that Yosef was long since dead and whatever protectia he provided was now only, you know, by memory. And so um, whether it's a new dynasty or merely a new king or merely a change in the heart of an existing king, which seems unlikely because, you know, pharaohs didn't live forever either. Yeah. Um, so um, he ceases to be so important, and as a result, his people become less important in terms of um, wanting to please them or protect them. Great. And before I make, make, make the next comment, just Temple uh, Betham, Cantor Fishman is watching on Facebook Live. So uh, a connection across the years uh, to the community. Hi, Cantor Fishman. Um, 
Yeah, and, and all this is trying to understand a verse which, again, is one of the easiest verses to understand in terms of Hebrew words. There are no hard words. But we're trying to make sense of how it can be that all of this goodness that was built up in the last three, four chapters of Genesis is just gone instantly, right? But in the first few verses of Shemot, it's like halcyon. It's paradise. They're living and they're dying, but they're dying because their lives are getting older. And by verse 9 and 10, it's, it's you know, Charlton Heston and the Ten Commandments and Yul Brenner. Right? How did that happen so quickly? Um, any, any no, uh, Rachel, yes. I was thinking actually on a very intimate level of if this is the same Pharaoh behaving as if he did not know Yosef after Yosef had died. The sense that when someone you love very much dies how angry you are with them for dying and that there was a, a, a betrayal of a relationship and just kind of layering on a, a Freudian a little bit um, interpretation Yosef had died first Yosef had refound his extended family which I'm sure separated him from Pharaoh and then <clears throat> Yosef um, himself died and that uh, Pharaoh may have felt very angry very betrayed that his best buddy hmm. wasn't around anymore hmm. yeah once we open up the question of how it can be that this next era of pharaonic leadership, whether it's the same person or a different person, had no notional connection to the Yosef era, there are innumerable possible explanations, and one is more interesting than the other. Um, let's, let's once again remark how interesting it is that Rashi neither tells us which rabbi authored which position, nor does Rashi tell us which one he thinks is the more... Uh, convincing argument. He just leaves it as a teku, as a machloket. Um, yes, Amy, it's much better than watching the news. Um, okay, let's move. Yes, Norm. Um, I checked in Soto yesterday, and it seems that while there are some places where Robin Shmuel or others disagree, um, the Gomorrah goes on to try and figure out who it was. In this case, neither the Gomorrah nor any source I could find addresses which side Rav and Shmuel were on, so Rashi may not have had any way of determining that. Right, right. It, it's it, it's as unattributed in the text from which he is quoting as it is here, um, but it does beg the question as to why every comment that Rashi brings down from one or multiple Midrashim was authored by a rabbi, right? How, when was the last time in a Rashi we saw the words Rabbi Yochanan or Rabbi, Rabbi Shmuel, Rabbi Eliezer, right? Every once in a while, he attributes uh, a comment to the the midrashic author or the Talmudic author, but he doesn't. He, he here he does, but it it, it doesn't even seem to be like um, an obvious reason why he does because he can't even tell us who said what. But he's 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 made a choice um, uh, to bring to bring the the authors of the midrash down. Okay. Let's move on to verse 9. Uh, Elon, you want to read verse 9? 
So Hebrew verse or Rashi? Well, Rashi has the comments for sure. Right. So Yomer El Amo Inei Am Bnei Yisrael Rava Atzum Bimenu. Okay, and this is where numbers turn into nuisance. See if you can translate. Uh, and God Vayomer El Amo, and he said to his people, Hinei here are the peoples, the children of Israel. Um, 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 numerous uh, and strong have they become right or, or numerous and, they're more numerous and strong than we are more numerous and strong than we are good I'm going to pause for a second for everyone on the Chumash class who is in Morocco with us the newest watcher on Facebook live is Yusef Yosef is watching us from Morocco right now so Yosef Yusef, it's so great to see you on Facebook Live, and some of your your travelers from Morocco are studying this class with us. So we all say hello to you, and they're waving to you. Okay, good. That mimenu is a very powerful word. If you broke it down, it's a preposition mean, which means from, and the ending new, from us, but the impact in biblical Hebrew, and I guess in some ways modern Hebrew is, it, it can be than us, more than us. So we had already, we, we knew the facts, the data, that the Israelites were Rav Atzum. In fact, those were two of the four verbs, right, that we had um, um, seen in the previous, uh, in, in verse se- uh, 7, that the children of Israel had parud, they'd become fruitful, vayishritsud, they had uh, swarmed, vayirbu, they became numerous, vayasub, they became strong. One of the ways we were content- we were reading it um, back then was that the first and the third verbs were data points, numerous and many, and the third, the second and the fourth verbs were commentaries. They swarmed, they got strong. Here the Torah picks the third and fourth verbs, not the second and fourth, and says that Pharaoh's experience of them is not only are they many, not only the strong, they are more many than us. They are stronger than us, right? Which, of course, is preposterous, right? Let's just name that. I don't care, how, unless, unless um, endless generations have happened, however numerous Yosef and his family have become, they, are, they, they can't be more than the Egyptians that are in their, under Pharaoh's control, and they certainly can't be stronger. But his, um, his paranoia... His uh, neurosis is that they are. Rashi is quiet on this verse. That doesn't mean that we have to be. Questions or comments on the verse, the basic meaning of it, or anything it awakens for you? Elon. Elon and then Matt. And then Andrew. Elon, Matt, Andrew. Even even more than the previous previous line, this really strikes me as uh, the story of the Jewish people because in, in... Every case where we've been persecuted, the canard has been that we are, uh, our strength has been exaggerated and our power has been exaggerated. And, and this is really a, uh, a, a prelude to Jewish history. More than it, it, it strikes me as unbelievably powerful in, in a historical context. Yeah, there's that great Jewish joke about I always try to read the anti-Semitic newspapers because it makes me feel much better about being a Jew, right? Because according to them, we're, we're, we have incredible control and power. So right, and and it, and it belies um, it belies ob- the objective reality. Matt Andrew Barry. It's just the thought that it could this king could be a local king, not the king of all Egypt. So 
if he was like a provincial governor and in the eyes of the Israelites that was the local pharaoh so that the numbers could swell to be like the numbers of enslaved people in the south versus white people in the south and they're threatened after the civil war and so they imposed Jim Crow uh, Matt, that's a fascinating comment. I'm going to pause one second. I want to read out last thing that Fran Grossman wrote on the Facebook Live, which is that she is dedicating her learning today to the memory of her cousin, Eliyahu Ben Chava, Adam Gold, who died two days ago from the coronavirus in Seattle. I'm not sure if you had heard that, that Fran has a first cousin who passed away from the coronavirus. So, Fran, uh, we're thinking of you and sending you love. And if you want to engage interactively, somewhere on this Facebook post, Facebook Live comment section is the link to the um, GoToMeeting so you can actually participate in this. Hi, Rabbi Scott Wessel. Um, right, Matt, that's an interesting comment. Um, I hadn't really thought about that, that, that if, if, if we're not thinking of, like, the geography of Egypt as we know it, but as a, but a, 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 a regional fiefdom, then it's possible that in that small in that small area, particularly the way Yosef provided for his his family and his offspring mm-hmm. through the famine, that they had been able to grow more numerous, um, or at least as close to it as the um, as as uh, as the verse seems to suggest. Um, if that's the case, it would seem hard to imagine that then all of a sudden that Pharaoh could just wield instant power and enslave a group of people who are as numerous as him, but we actually have seen that happen, of course, in, in human history also. So, uh, thanks sure. for that comment. Want to say more, Matt, or should we go to Andrew? Uh, no, no, go ahead. Andrew and then Barry. Yeah, I I was just wondering, especially as I'm sorry to look ahead to the next Pasuk, but I wonder <laughs> whether instead of my focus is less on, you know, is one more populous than the other. I just wonder what is going on with Egypt's population, regardless of their size. Maybe there is some other extenuating circumstances that Paro is feeling more vulnerable, especially when you look ahead and it starts talking about Gamhu al-Sonenu. You know, it is, is there something geopolitically going on in this region that uh, has Paro feeling more vulnerable, and then all of a sudden he's worried that uh, you know the Jews in his midst may collaborate with those enemies. Interesting, yeah. Um, the Torah doesn't give us any contemporaneous historical context, but to the extent that we can historicize the story, there certainly was one because everything has historical contemporaneous context. So that that's a really helpful comment, Andrew. Even though we can't resolve it, it's helpful to kind of thicken what's happening simultaneously at that time. Uh, Barry. So doing some calculations, uh, Joseph's um, advice to Pharaoh, uh, interpreting the dream. Uh, how many years of famine would there be in? in Egypt and uh, at the time that Jacob's family arrived and Jacob was there for 17 years before he died how, how, how many years of famine have uh, our Israelite tribes been well off so to speak in the plush lands where we were while the Egyptians were still suffering how, how many years of that were and where would the Egyptian history be at this point in time of this forgetfulness? 
had they had they recouped their economic strength yet or were they still uh, suffering while we were not right and even if it wasn't the case that the people in Goshen living in and near Yosef were faring any better than the standard Egyptian were because the way we're, we understand the story Yosef's economic overhaul of the society was um, operative on both the Israelites and the non-Israelites. Even if even if the Israelites were not doing any better, you can imagine how a king might wonder: Is this is 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 this guy treating his own folk a little bit better than he's treating even the ones that he was asked to mainly provide for, which are the Egyptians? Sue, hi, Rabbi Chorney, watching on Facebook. Um, you know, I I it's kind of you know a blame the jews thing you know if if it goes back before they were even the jews and they were still the israelites in egypt it's a um yet another oh i'm sort of thinking about this current thing and there was a post on facebook that daniel graber posted this current uh you know the jews started it situation it's uh you know yet an opportunity to kind of start up the blame the Jews story. Yeah, and just just wait to see what happens. Sue shared with me a, a brief audio podcast yesterday about how the Hasidic community in Brooklyn is kind of refusing to recognize the severity of this, and they're gathering in their in their Batei Midrash, and they're going to weddings, and they're going to mikvahs, and they're dancing with each other, and just, and 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 it'll, it'll be terrible if and when, and I, I fear it'll be a when, the virus starts to really decimate their communities and it'll be terrible on another level obviously the, the the loss of of health and life will be the worst level but it'll be terrible on another level when new york's hospitals are overrun with um jews in the icu uh that society is going to say they didn't they didn't they didn't take the precautions and therefore they're making it harder on society than they needed to so that's going to be a that may that not happen but it but it may happen um, someone here is on the class. Uh, I see Norm and, and Barbara's hands, but who is T? I see a T, but I don't see you or hear you. Can you just identify yourself so I know who's there? I can say, say hello to you. Hi, it's Tal. Oh, hi, Tal. Okay, nice hi, to have you here. coming in from work, so I can't video. <laughs> no problem. So glad to have you here. Okay, uh, Norm and Barbara. I, I learned many years ago from a rabbi who did not have great expertise in the area, that the dynasty during which Yosef and Yaakov and their uh, tribes came in was the Hyksos, who were originally Semites from the Northeast, if you're in Egypt, and that it's a more nativist uh, uh dynasty that's now in power, but it stands to reason that if they threw out the Hyksos, that they might fear that a Semitic group in their midst would be relatively likely to side with a new Semitic invasion that might be anticipated sooner or later, <laughs> um, which lends a little bit of credibility to Pharaoh's fears, um, but not very much. Hmm. Hmm. Thank you, Norm. Barbara. We can't hear you, Barbara. You need to turn on your your uh, microphone. I see you, but I can't hear you. Still can't hear you. I'm going to listen to Larry while you're figuring it out, but it should be a pretty easy fix. If someone knows how to type in the chat box to explain to Barbara how to do it, because I want to hear what Barbara has to say, but Larry first. Brief comment. Um, Ralph Atsum, the Atsum, 
and since the Torah doesn't um, have extraneous um, words, they must mean different things. I've asked Leonard, but he didn't see my chat, to comment on the word atsum, but it can't be that our translation, at least in Safaria, is correct. It can't simply be that they are much too numerous. It must be they're numerous and something else, and some of your translations probably are and strong, but I'm very curious about the word atsum, which I think we've talked about before what exactly that, that that meant. Well, Larry, what two Hebrew words do you know that are from the same root as atsum? Um, well, tsum, that's a... No, no, it's not, that's not tsum. That take, that take, um, what's atsum? Essence. Right, essence and bone, right? So atsum as an adjective is often translated as strong or mighty. The root, etzem, unless unless Leonard's going to tell us that they're actually different roots altogether, but the roots are also built from, um, or the word is built from the root that means like an essence or a self, like atzmi is myself, and etzem, or etzem mi atzamai, right? This, this woman was built bone from my bones. So there's something essential and... I don't know, skeletal about Atsum, right? Uh, Everett Fox translates the verse. He, he doesn't know what to do with it, so um, he, he puts in a lot of parentheses. He writes, He said to his people, colon, Here, comma, parentheses this, this people, comma, the children of Israel, is, and watch this, he hyphenates this word, is many more, many dash more. Someone should, uh, too many people on, so you have to mute yourself. Mute yourself. Uh, Leonard, can you mute yourself? Uh, is many more, and is many more, and mightier, parentheses, in number, and parentheses, than we. So he, he translates Rav as many dash more, many more, and he puts mightier and then adds parentheses in number, which he doesn't have to say because it, it might just be mightier in terms of strength. But for some reason, Everett Fox is reading the word assume to suggest mightier numerically, which seems to be extraneous because that's what many more might mean. Um, Marshall, are you going to say something? Got got it, um, Leonard. Do you have uh, some information for us? Uh, yeah, Larry. By the way, I did return your uh, chat, but you guess you didn't see it. Um, Atsum is defined here as strong and powerful. Interestingly, the word etzem uh, actually comes from that same place, strong and mighty. It means you know bone or also body. And the meaning and essence, whatever, it's all cut from the same place. Even though there are a couple other ayin sadiq mems, one meaning to close the eye, the other one meaning to break a bone. But anyway, uh, I don't know that I have anything, uh, a, a lot to add over here. It's just, it's a, it's a strong and powerful word. <laughs> well said. Uh, who's the Rebecca? Is that Rabbi Schatz? Who's the, who's the R and Rebecca? Here we have we have a computer and a phone going. We have two accounts. Oh, fancy schmancy. Um, okay. Uh, who was there? Someone who had a hand up, Joel. Joel. 
You just muted yourself again. No, you're muted yourself, Joel. Hear me? Now we can hear you. Last verse, we had a machloka between Rav and Shmuel, and this verse, we have a machloka between Rav and Natsum. <laughs> Very good. That's wonderful. Um, uh, Barbara wrote out what I think she wanted to say. This sentence just proves that several generations have gone past as the Bnei Yisrael have become so numerous, and therefore the new king is long after Yosef. Right. Um, right. Or, or... He, his emotional experience is, this, is as if they are about to become that numerous, even though they're, though they're not, and he used that as the pretext to uh, become draconian in his policies, right? And that's the very thing that Rav and Yosef are trying to figure out. Right? Um, okay. Anyone else? Oh, hi, Mira Berenbaum, who's watching on Facebook. Um, anyone else on this verse? As uh, Elon said, there's no Rashi on it, and Elon, our minhag is that you read a verse until you get to a verse with Rashi, so you're still on. Verse 10, Hava. Hava nitchatma lo pen irbe v'haya ki tikra'enna milchama v'nosaf gam hu al shenenu v'nilcham banu v'ala min ha'aretz. Okay. Some interesting stuff going on here. See what you can do as a translation, and then we'll fill it fill it out. Elon got a pass because uh, you know we were going to give him a mouthful in the next one. <laughs> um, come, uh, let us be wise. Good. See how Elon sees in, the, in that in that long word nidchakma. It's in the middle of it is chacham. It's some kind of a let let us be wise towards them. Let's 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 wisen up low. What does the low mean? Uh, to something to in him. I'm not sure what to refer. Right. To. It's an it or a him, which is going to set up Rashi's comment, which we probably will not get to until next week. It doesn't say. Let's see what it does. It doesn't say hava nit chakma lahem. It doesn't say, let us be wise regarding them. So it's a him or an it. You can already hear your mind resolving, well, the it could be the people, because am represents many people, but it's a singular noun. But still it's interesting, and it's going to set up an even more interesting comment to Rashi. Okay, so let's be wise about them. uh, Elon, do you remember what pen means? Uh, I don't know what pen ear ben means. Pen means lest. So lest... Uh, I, I can't not say they, even though it's a singular verb, lest it, the people, become even more rav. Yirbe is the future verb of the notion of becoming numerous. Lest they get even more rav, more more, uh, more numerous. And vehaya looks like a past tense verb, but it's a vav ha'ipuch, so it's a future. And if they become more numerous, then it, again, it's a singular verb, it will be what will happen? Kitikrena milchama. What does that mean, uh, Elon? Well, war world will occur. Right. If there is a um, uh, a war that comes, interesting. Kitikrena is like the root kara. If war will be called, like almost like a congress. If if war if, if war is declared, right? Well, why do you say? Why do you say? Why wouldn't it be in the sense of like makara? Why are you looking at it as calling as opposed to happening? Great question, because kara as happening is a hey. 
kara wow. as aleph is some kind of a some kind of a call. So um, I, w- when we get when we meet next time, we'll we'll look at um, uh, all the different translations of it. Um, a, a comment. Yes, Barry. So it, 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 it clearly it, it's not that should the Israelite cause a war, but only saying that should there be a war. Should there be a war? Correct. Should a war arrive? What will happen? Quick question: When you say "vayat" is future, why would you say that as opposed to past? So the, the, there's a, a grammatical construct called the vav ha'ipuch. A vav at the beginning of a verb form, in the beginning of a phrase in the in the Torah and the Bible, makes a past tense verb be rendered as future and vice versa. So im shemoa ilan. It's not and if they did hear, but if. If if you do listen, right? So haya looks past tense, but because it's vihaya, it's moving into a future, right? Uh, and, if, and you'll see that pattern over and over again. And yes, Rabbi Torney says, "Yay, grammar." Um, okay, <laughs> so let's just finish the verse, then we'll call it a day. So if a war happens, vinosaf gamhu al sonenu. The subject of vinosaf is this singular concept which hasn't been defined. It's probably the people. What's nosaf mean, Elon? Uh, to add. Right, except that it's passive. It's in the nifal. Will be added. Gam who? It. I keep. You've got to say they. They also will be added. Al upon sonenu. What's a sone? Hatred. Correct. So the ones who hate us are enemies. So if we read through, let's be wise about them, because they might get more numerous. And what's going to happen is, when a war comes, and it will come because wars happen, they, it, will join, be adjoined to those who are our enemies, who will hate us, v'nil chambanu, meaning what, uh, Elon? Uh, and then, well, nilcham is, is some kind of war with our... With us. And, and they will start fighting. Yeah. They are us. They're part of us, but they'll become more numerous than us, and they'll start. They'll, they'll side with the other side, right? They'll, they'll become mercenaries to the other side. And now this wonderful phrase. Just just watch how evocative these next three words are, and it's particularly evocative because we have no idea what it refers to. The Allah min haaretz. What does that literally mean, Elon? They will go up or rise from the land. Right, and my friend Benjamin says PP, but uh, only he and I know what that means, and he and I will have to talk about that later. Okay, the Allah min haaretz, and it will, or they will, uh, rise up from the land. Okay, what's the simplest way of understanding the shot there, Elon or so- someone else? What's if, if the Pharaoh is spinning out his fears, his anxieties... What's the simplest way to understand the Allah min ha'aretz? Barry? Well, my translation is that they'll drive us out of the land. Okay, so maybe, so maybe the, the Allah min ha'aretz is, is Pharaoh self-referring, and after all of this turmoil where our own, our own internal group Joins with our enemies in a war, the Allah means, and and we will have to leave land. What's a somewhat simpler way of understanding what he's saying and and why he's afraid of it, Marshall, or Marshall or Matt? 
Walter is commenting that perhaps the, uh, the Israelites themselves would leave Egypt, probably to return to their country of origin in the north. And w- as where Olaf may suggest. Right, and why is that a bad thing from this pharaoh's perspective? This, this very pharaoh who's also nervous about them staying and being too many. Why, why is that in a string of things he's nervous might happen? Well, they're not slaves yet, but at the very least, they'll he'll lose a significant part of his economy, right? So it's interesting. He's he's a. This is how non-rational it is. He's afraid that they're there and going to stay, and he's afraid that they're going to leave, right? If the Vialamin Haaretz means them, the Israelites. Matt, you were going to say something before, and then Norm, and then we'll finish. No. No. But I have a bracha I wanted to contribute if it, people don't know about it yet at the end. Okay, you're going to do that at the end, Norm, and I'll make a last comment and then Matt. Norm? We see the exact same point of view in the last generation from the Soviet government that on the one hand was fearful of Jews and impressed Jews, and on the other hand Perfect. would not let them leave. Perfect. Perfect, right? You can't stay and be who you are, and you can't leave in order to be who you are. And here's the evocative part. What's the one, what will the first ten, ten chapters of the book of Shemot be focused on? The Israelites drive to do aliyah min ha'aretz, to go do aliyah to the aretz, right? So this phrase, ve'alah min ha'aretz, and they're going to leave the land, we're thinking alavai. Before enslavement happens, the Torah kind of throws in in, in Pharaoh's nervousness, in Pharaoh's worry, that they might do the very thing that the whole story is going to be based on. They might leave. Exactly. Exactly. That's what we want to happen. So, when we start next time, um, and if those of you who are watching on Facebook Live, this is every Wednesday, 8.30 in the morning, Pacific time. We start next time. We'll look at some of the translations on this verse, because we're, there are going to be some very interesting translations that are not just going to impact, like, um, basic... Not just going to impact subtle differences, but basic differences in the meaning of the verse. And then we'll see a beautiful thing that Rashi does with this. Fanciful, but beautiful. So, uh, Matt, your bracha. Well, this is something I came upon in unrelated reading, but uh, it's from somewhere in the Talmud, and it's Baruch Say that again. I couldn't hear that last piece. Baruch Uh-huh. Yeah. Can you translate that? Which means, blessed be he who stops the plague. Yeah. In the davening that we've been doing um, via Zoom and go-to meeting, we've been saying Avinu Malkeinu, uh, which seems like a very powerful thing to, to, to kind of spontaneously evoke that we should be considering these days of great penitential prayer. And in addition to the standard eight or nine lines of Avinu Malkinu that are usually said by the Shaliach Tzibor and then repeated by the congregation, on Rabbi Michael Berenbaum's suggestions, we've been saying, Avinu Malkinu mina magefa mina chalatenu. Our Father, our King, please uh, prevent the plague from 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 our inheritance. So we're we're living in um, in in enormous times um, in halachic. Um, in halachic thinking, the only step more, the next step in severity in Masechet Tanit from adding in penitential prayers that are not normally added, anyone know what the next step is? Larry? We fast. Yeah. Communal fast. Yeah. That would be the next step. 
when if and, and when why, and why haven't why haven't we done it you know it, it it's it's it's, it, it's a judgment call it's the last step in the process of of recognizing we're in in potentially catastrophic times right now larry thank god thank god given society's response we're not in bubonic plague we're not in 1917 spanish flu influenza and and every death will be a tragedy but we we have, have not yet seen god forbid a decimation of society right the the things that we have in place so far seem to be pre- pre- preventing this from turning into massive 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 loss of life we we are all aware that people die every day of diseases and we don't fast right why haven't we instituted a fast because we haven't don't have a cure for cancer we don't have a cure for als we don't have a cure for parkinson's so it's it's not in any way to belittle any the, the suffering of any individual or the death of any person but right now th- there there seems to be and this is now me speaking out of turn because I don't know what I'm talking about, sufficient um, regional and national and international uh, attention that is going to hopefully keep this from being the kind of true catastrophe that might have us institute a fast. But um, we'll kind of listen to the whispers of the rabbinic community, and and if it feels like it's a a reasonable decision, uh, we'll make it. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.